This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce train. However... Uh, this is the best beginning ever. My guest, when she logged onto my <laughs> Zoom, had Hungry Heart as background music. <laughs> Olivia Francis, you win best entrance ever. <laughs> and I've been doing this since 2015. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jesse. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. And it, maybe, maybe for the listeners, should I just play it again just to like to re? Sure. To that sounds the, great. The entrance. Yes. Okay. Great. I'm playing it for my phone. Hopefully, this is it. okay. Jesse Jackson, <laughs> it is so nice to meet you. <laughs> I love that. That is great. so great. Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, we're going to spend a lot of time getting to know Olivia. She is a wonderful singer, songwriter, musician. I have, she sent me the link to her website. And over the past couple of days, I've been listening to it and I just, I adore your music and I'm already think you're just the coolest person ever. But <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. So yes, my name is Olivia Francis. I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio. So go Midwest. I currently live in Nashville, Tennessee, where I love, love music city, all things music. I, yeah, I started playing piano when I was six and then learned guitar when I was 12, wrote my first song when I was 12 and music's just always been in my blood. And uh, I have three albums out now and I'm releasing singles in 2023, hopefully to create an EP in the fall or perhaps album next spring. And I'm always writing, always performing, practicing, and just having fun all the time with music. That is awesome. I'm going to get back to that in a little bit about writing songs and doing everything, but I always like to start at the beginning. So talk about you, you mentioned growing up in Cincinnati, what kind of music were your family listening to? Was it a musical family? So both of my parents love music. They both like grew up playing like a little bit of piano, but they do not call themselves musicians at all. So um there's nobody in my family who's really like doing music really besides me. So I'm a little bit of a black sheep, but again, like I mean, my dad growing up, he was always listening to like the Allman Brothers and Steely Dan, Earth, Wind and Fire. And my mom, she always had the Chicks CD in her car called Traveling Soldier, which I like mes memorized every single lyric to that album. And I just love the Chicks. And also 70s music was very big in our house. So I definitely gravitate towards that decade. It comes to like a favorite per se, although the 80s, 90s also great, of course. And yeah, I just always 
always love, you know, learning from my parents and, and their musical inspirations too. Did you, some people have a rebel against their parents' music. It sounds like you didn't, though you may have expanded your horizon to bring in other music, but it sounds like you always embraced their music and recognized the quality of it. Yes, absolutely. And I've always just loved like all genres like rock and country and pop and classical and folk. I'm a huge fan of Carole King and Joni Mitchell. They're both just such badass female folk singers. And I just always look up to them. Yeah, I, I'm always amazed when you think about how much Carol King wrote, I mean, would you just go, she wrote that one? Oh, she wrote that one. Oh, she wrote that one. And it's just amazing. You, I have a really good friend, Tom, who, when I'm visiting with him, he's a professional artist. He does graphic novels and comic books and does other commercial art. But he said he always knew he wanted to draw. Like from the moment he could put a crayon in his hand, he knew making art was what he loved. And he, he never had desire to do anything else. There was no backup plan for him. So did you know you always wanted to make music? Yes, absolutely. I, um, just always had the music bug for better or worse. And it's, it's interesting because like, I mean, I feel very grateful. I kind of bumped into this group, the Nashville Songwriters Association International, NSAI. After I'd written like literally my first song, I was at dinner out with my family and there was this open mic night and I sang my song acapella that I had just written. And basically these three guys in cowboy hats and cowboy boots came up to me and they were like, hey, you should join our songwriting group we have here in Cincinnati. It's like called NSAI with the Cincinnati chapter. Da, da, da. And so I started going and like, um, we'd bring lyric sheets and we would, you know, share, you know, constructive feedback like, hey, you know, your bridge is really captivating. But like the second verse, I got kind of got lost. And like that really just I just fell in love with the process of writing. And I should say my mom, she is a writer. And I think that definitely, definitely runs in the family. And I think that, yeah, music, it's just always, always been part of who I am at my core. How old were you when you joined this kind of group? I was 12. Wow. I know. I know. I feel so grateful to have had that foundational, you know, the, the lessons of like writing melodies, like how to write lyrics, how to co-write. And a lot of people in that group would make regular trips to Nashville. And so that's kind of what got me like, you know, familiarized with the Nashville scene from a young age. Like my, my mom and I, we'd go down to Nashville like twice a year when I was in my teens. And then I was able to, in high school, I recorded an album down here. And a pivotal moment for me was the title track, Back to Happiness, from that first album of mine, won at the Ohio Music Awards. It won Best Pop Song. And that was kind of my moment where I was like, I'm going to do this. And, you know, I'm going to, I took a gap year in Nashville and I was, living here from 2014 to 2015. And then I went to school up in Massachusetts. And anyway, yeah, that was, that's interesting where to, where to see the seeds and how things start. You know, because one of the things that I'm going to go back to my buddy, Tom, mm-hmm. I, I, we had gotten to be friends. And so early in the process, he would send a rough draft of a story. And, and then he, he kind of called us friends and said, okay, and I have a, I have a really good friend that when you tell him you're having a problem, he says, supportive or logical. <laughs> right? Well, that's and, really funny. That sounds like a song. 
Yeah, it does. <laughs> and so I will often say supportive. He's like, okay, yeah, you're totally right. They're wrong. <laughs> Everything's good. And then I'll go, okay, logical. Well, I actually think they have a point, you know, something. So it, and I, so Tom would say, I don't need you to tell me that this is great. Mm-hmm. I need you to read this and see if something doesn't work. Mm. He says, I'll certainly take any compliments you want to give me if it's a good scene or there's something, but I'd really, and it sounds like very early you got into a healthy environment of not trying to destroy your creativity, but the idea of, Hey, what if you do this here and try this and what does it sound? had to be incredibly value for an early, not just songwriter, a creative person. Yes, absolutely. I think that just knowing that you can always go back to that first draft of the song, you know, it's never going to disappear. Like you have it forever and then you can only, you know, make it a song better or, you know, you can take the feedback and go, you know what? I just like the song how it is. And that's, that's totally valid too. And that's fine. But I think that process of just trying to make the storyline more clear or the chorus melody more hooky, or maybe the bridge is kind of the same saying the same thing as like what the first verse already said. And you want to realize, Oh yeah, I should maybe bring in new information here. Like it's, it's, you know, the, the craft of songwriting is, is so important to understand, especially if, I mean, for me at that point, it was like, yes, like I want to be a songwriter. So did, you know, one of the things that I, love is I'll read stories of script writers, right? And, and, and novel writers. And they'll talk about, in fact, J. Michael Stravinsky did a book on, on being a writer, staying a writer. And one of the chapters, he showed the edit process. He actually in the book showed the rough and then cut through all they did. So you could see how much cutting he did to get the story where it needed to be. And, and I love your idea, right? That someone can share with you and you could go, well, I, I hear your feedback, but this is what I want to tell. But the, also the open of, well, what if I did it this way? And what do what I do? Sounds really, really wonderful. What did you study when you went to school? So I studied environmental studies with a minor in music. And that was really because I've also always had a passion for the environment and like a love of nature, connection to nature. And I really view myself like if somebody asks me about my genre, I say like I'm nature folk pop. And I have this element of my artistry where like on stage, for example, like when I play my song, The Bee and the Rose, I wrote that song about bees to like bring awareness to the bee crisis that's happening where bees are dying due to these pesticides called neonicotinoids. Anyway, so my degree in college, I was, you know, trying to really fuse those together, like the environmental studies and the music component. And, um, it's, I know it's not necessarily something that people like think off the bat, like, oh, those are totally different. They're not related at all. But I feel like there actually are a lot of strings that tie them together when it comes to like touring more sustainably and things like that. So in your heart, you knew that while you're in, you're enjoying environmental science, 
you wanted to be a musician and do you have a day gig? Yes. So throughout college, I was performing all over. I was, I went to Clark University in Worcester, Massachusetts, which is such a great place to tour from because Worcester is just so central, close to Boston and Providence and Manchester, New Hampshire and like two hours from Portland. And so I was, you know, in school and then I was like gigging on the weekends and whenever I could. And I, you know, was touring like from Worcester to like Nashville in the summers. And that's kind of been like my, my main route over the years. And yeah, I, I always still knew like in my heart of hearts, like music, I, to be honest, like majoring in music to me was kind of scary. Like my guitar teacher in high school said to me, he was like, if you can imagine yourself doing anything else, like major in that thing, because you always have music, which like, that's not to say like, I, I have such great admiration for people who major in music. I think it's so brave and badass in every way, but like, that was just like not, it wasn't something that I was like, that was calling me anyway. And now I work in marketing. I do have a day job in addition to, of course, performing and touring. I work remotely for like a startup doing marketing and sales. And I've been there for two and a half years and it's very flexible and it's allowed me to tour, you know, being remote, I think is one of the greatest gifts to artists and musicians. I mean, you know, the silver lining of the pandemic, of course, because it's really changed the way that we can make a living. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So I want to go back to that when you, during the pandemic, I had several musicians join me during 2020. And I always said that, and this, this kind of seems to be a cliche, but bear with me, right? You, you, you write some songs, you, 
you throw in a few covers that are going to make people smile. You, Mm -hmm. you scrape enough money to build a CD. So you go to, you go to clubs, you play, you hope you sell enough CDs to get a tank of gas to make it to the next gig and you slowly build a following, right? In a pandemic, you can't do that. You're just in front of a zoom camera. And I, you know, I, so I asked the question, you know, how do you promote a new CD when you can't tour? And a lot of them said poorly or, you know, not very well. So where were you in your career when the pandemic hit? Yeah. So I was working at a hotel, the front desk, and I got laid off which was hard. I went to Florida, which is where my mom lives. My dad's still in Cincinnati. My mom's down in Sarasota and kind of just like stuck it out with her for the first few months. And then I got this remote job that I still have today. And yes, the pandemic was was very hard. Like when I got laid off, I'm the type of person who when I get stressed, I just like don't want to think about what's stressing me out. I just want to like overschedule myself. And so I was writing like two or three times a day on Zoom with friends like (laughs) from their houses, like you know, just being like, oh my gosh, like, let's just like focus on our creative energies. And like, and some of my friends had the opposite where they couldn't write a song at all because they couldn't focus on that. But for me, that was like all I wanted to do. And so I wrote a bunch of songs during that time. And then I was in Nashville that summer in 2020. And yeah, it was just a very lonely time, a very disconnected time for lots of musicians. In the spring of 2021, I did a live stream that I called Midweek Magic, where every Wednesday from, I think it was six to seven, it would be myself and then one of my friends who would play. And then each of us would kind of sing a song and it would be 30 minutes long or so, or six, six thirty, I think. Yeah. It's all blur, but, but yeah. And that was a really nice way to create community online, but there's really, truly nothing like performing in front of a crowd. And so I'm so happy that things have gotten more back, more back to normal and just the energy that you feel from a crowd like that can't be replicated over the camera you know computer and also feedback can't be replicated like one of my favorite parts of performing is when someone comes up to me after a show and goes like hey I love that one song you played x it really resonated with me because x and they share a story and it's like those are the powerful moments that we just there's such that connection between us it's wonderful yeah, one of the jokes we used to make is in my wife and I moved to Dallas in 86 and we started following some of the local bands and, and one of our, one of our best friends was a, a musician named Sarah Hickman who is still active in Austin and a singer songwriter and, and other people. And we would joke, I like, okay, when I go see Billy Joel, he doesn't come off the stage afterwards and come to your table and shake your hand and go, Hey, thanks for coming to see me. Do you want to sign my mailing? You want to be on part of my mailing list? <laughs> it, and it's, it, there's such a beauty to, to it, that live music in that small venue, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, you know, 50 people or even, you know, 200 people, that mm-hmm. sense of, of community and enjoying that music. So Olivia, you, you, you talk about you were young, you were in this songwriting community. What would you say was your first true break? When do mm-hmm. you, when, if you had to put down, this is when it, I, I got a little more serious about this. Mm, that's so interesting. I know I feel like a break can be seen in so many ways, like absolutely person, like getting signed by a label or getting yeah. signed by a manager or something like that. I feel like 
my first break defining moment. Wait, I just had it and then it slipped out of my brain. It was probably like when I was able to do an Indiegogo campaign in 2019 and I raised over $10,000 from my incredible fan base. And like that to me felt like a big break. So it was like, wow, like I really have such a supportive, generous community who really like, who really want to hear my music. And, you know, I think that artists in a lot of ways, like they're not much without their fans. Like it's really all the fans and family friends and friends, neighbors and everything like that, the community that builds an artist. And so that's, that's one defining moment that pops in my head. Yeah, that's a great one. I remember, you know, one of the things, and that's why we talk about, I talk about Sarah a lot is, you know, she was, she'll, will be visiting and she'll, someone will go, Oh, how do you know Jesse and Linda? And she's like, you know, I had a handful of people, a dozen people when I was starting out that was at every gig and mm-hmm. Linda and Chris, you know, Linda and Jesse were two of them. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and I'm sure you've got those kind of fans as well that you, mm-hmm. you, it's not that you'd be surprised if they're not there, but you just know chances are they're going to be there. Do you, do you have some of those? Oh yeah. Shout out to Dan and Linda, Jim Blaine and Mahmood. And yeah, definitely there's some people who have really lifted me up. And I think, it's hard, you know, the music industry, there's lots of ups and downs, like you'll release a single and you'll be so excited and it does well or it doesn't or whatever. And then you'll have, let's say a season where you're just like, I don't know if I should be doing this. Like this is really challenging to book a show that I want to book or whatever it is. And so having those people to encourage you and like to show up, it's just like, it literally means the world. Yeah. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you're a friend of Olivia and she didn't say your name, it's because I did not give her advance notice. If I had told her I was going to ask that question, she would have been ready. So if she didn't say your name, she's going to say this after our recording and she's going to go, damn it. I should have said, yeah, I should should have guessed. So Mm -hmm. that is great. You you. mentioned, let's go through, what was your first album? Yeah, of course. So it was called Back to Happiness. And those songs I wrote on that album were all solo rights. So I wrote them by myself. Now in Nashville, co-writing is very popular. And I co-write all the time with one other writer in the room or two other, sometimes three other writers. And so that one was yeah, just, just me. And I recorded it down in Nashville at this place called Studio 19, which is now sadly a parking lot. It doesn't exist anymore. But I just remember being like goo goo gaga in that studio. And just, I think every time you go into the studio, you learn something new. And of course, with that being my first time, I just, just was so, it's just, especially in Nashville, it's like you work with these musicians who've been playing since they were three years old, you know, and you give them their like chord chart and they can just like play it and they just know how it should sound. And like most of the time, really. And it, it's just a really incredible thing to witness. Do you feel loved and it's accepted within the Nashville community? I do. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Nashville, it's a very transient place. And so when I first moved here in 2014, like I would always go to the Commodore Grill. That was my hang. And I mean, I was 18 at the time, so I couldn't get into like 21 plus music venues and bars and such. I feel like since that time, I've come back to Nashville when I was in college and stuff. Like I was here in the summers. I kind of bounced back and forth. And then after school, moved back in 2019. And I've been here since. And I feel like at this point, I really found like my Nashville family 
And, you know, there's a lot of people who I know who have come here for like three years and they've left. And some of them who've come back, some of them who've, you know, gone back home or gone to LA or New York or Austin, you know, mm-hmm. but I, def- I definitely think for myself that this is, this is definitely where I want to be. Yeah, Austin is a beautiful city for music and, and that a lot of, there's a lot of going there, but Nashville is just an amazing city. So I'm a big believer in, you know, asking questions about stages. And so you've, mm-hmm. you've been performing live for a long time. Is there one specific gig that you kind of felt where you said, okay, I've kind of, I've gone to another level now? Mm. Yes, I would say performing at Cheyenne Frontier Days in Cheyenne, Wyoming, two years actually in a row. That was really amazing because it's the world's largest rodeo. And I actually had never been to a rodeo before. So it was kind of a culture shock in the best way, though. And just going out to Cheyenne and like meeting so many welcoming and like warm folks and like the people who headline Cheyenne Frontier Days are like Marin Morris and Kane Brown and like huge country artists, which as I mentioned, I'm more in like the pop folk world. I was on like a side stage, but just to be like, you know, around that, around the people like that and their presence, that was really cool. Neat. Do, are you performing live on a regular basis now? Yes, I am. I have a few one-off gigs coming up. I have a show in Lexington, Kentucky for the Lexington Humane Society, March 31st. And it's like a open fundraising event. So if you're in Lexington, come on through. And then I have a show in another show in Warsaw, Kentucky for Earth Day, which I'm super excited about for a festival. And I perform at a lot of singer songwriter rounds here in Nashville, where there's like three or four singer songwriters on the stage. And then each of us sing a song and then it goes around again. And those are super duper fun. I just played one of those on Monday. Yeah. When we were in Nashville a few years ago, we lucked out. My brother-in-law got us tickets for a round at the, um, at the Bluebell, you know, cafe, you know, and yeah. And it was it, Carly Pierce and was there at the time before she had gotten, you know, really broke out and, Mm -hmm. and, and, and Josh Abbott from the Josh Abbott band were there. And so, and I was like, I want to do this every week. I mean, I just, just to go see just four musicians in that round and just, I'm going to do a song. Oh, that's really great. Okay. Now you do one. And just to share Mm -hmm. that is I, I would, as an audience member, I loved it. And I, I, it sounds great to hear you say it's such a warm, creative way to share songs. It really is. I'm so happy that you got to experience that. And gosh, that sounds like a really special round. Yeah, it was Yeah, really, really good. So let's talk about influences. You've already talked about Johnny Mitchell and Carol King. Who are other musicians that, if maybe not influenced, but you enjoy listening to? And Sure. Well, of course, I have to talk about Bruce Springsteen at some point. So yes, I we like do. Yes. I, <laughs> I'm happy to to start with him. I, okay. I, I can share that. Like I, I know just with any band or artist, like there's different levels of fandom. Right. And I feel like I will be honest and say, I'm, I'm not like, I wouldn't call myself a super fan of Bruce Springsteen's only because I just, at this point in my life yet, it hasn't like sure. struck me, but I'm definitely a fan for sure. And gosh, he made a really big impression on me because in seventh grade, my friend Gil invited me to go to a Bruce Springsteen concert. And again, 
that's such a fundamental foundational time in one's life. And at the time I had heard of like, of course, his big hits and like my dad had definitely played Bruce Springsteen's music in the house for sure. But I had no idea like what I was getting myself into. And like, I will never forget that show because he played at the U.S. Bank Arena. That was my first arena concert. My very first concert ever was Earth, Earth, Wind and Fire. Actually, that was in a theater in Florida. And but yeah, no, this was the first arena one. And I just remember the amount of energy that Bruce Springsteen had was unfathomable. And like, even when I was, you know, like 13 or whatever, like my jaw was just on the floor. And I just remember, you know, the concert was like four hours and I had just never ever in my life seen anything like it. And so still to this day, I haven't seen anything ever like it. What about what time period is this? What year? This would have been like 2000, 2007. Okay. 2007, 2008. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. So I, I don't know what tour that would have been, but no, no, okay. That's okay. Yeah. And it's in Nashville. It was in Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Okay. Bank Arena. Okay. Good. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. What about it? Not only the length, but what is it just the energy is what impressed you? The energy, his voice, the way that he was just like running around on stage. And I mean, he was so down to earth too. I remember like he just would conversationally, you know, just talk to the crowd. And it was just like, it was just like another day for him. Like it was no big deal that he was in this packed arena with thousands of people. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, yeah, such an, made such an impression on me. Do you remember any specific songs or something that spoke to you? Gosh. It's okay. You didn't. That was a long time ago. <laughs> I know. I want to say yes, but I don't know. No. Okay. Don't so. That's fine. Just the overall experience. Overall mm-hmm. experience. Okay. Yeah, I think that's still the longest concert I've ever been to ever. The length was just yeah. Just, like, yeah, miraculous. Yeah. Have How? you? Yeah. Uh, I was <laughs> so going to ask myself. you that. Yeah. Okay. So I have heard other musicians say that like, okay, like currently the new set list, he's doing about 25 to 27 songs. Okay. He's averaging about a two hour and 45 minute show. Okay. But he does okay. no talking between songs. I mean, the first song, the song's ending, and then he immediately goes into the next one. So it's, uh, I think someone made the joke that, you know, he did the President Obama podcast. He did his autobiography. He did a written of that. He's been doing solo shows. I mean, he's been doing radio shows. So maybe he's like, you guys are tired of hearing me talk. I'm just going to play music. (laughs) Interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, because... For me, it's like I can play for me. I play up to three hours as yeah. far as music, although I do take breaks. I will yeah. say if I'm doing a, you know, a bar gig or something. Sure. Now the gig I have, I have a gig coming up that's four hours. I've never played four hours. It's the Lexington one. And I'm very nervous because I'm like, that's a lot of, I mean, I have the songs like it's like, I, but it's just as far as like remembering the songs and everything, you know, that's just and your, your physical body and like your vocal chords and like all that, you know, from a physicality perspective. But, but yeah, three hours even to me is pushing it. Like I prefer two hours. I feel like that's a really nice sweet spot, but it's interesting that you say that he's not talking in between his songs because as a listener and as a fan myself, like I enjoy like whoever it is that I'm going to see, like I enjoy the little snippets of information or like the story behind the song. Of course, I'm always a sucker for that kind of information, just something that kind of like, 
like is like the thread in between each song i feel like is really nice but but hey i mean yeah as you said maybe he's just like people want to hear songs and so i'm gonna just do that yeah he does two interludes he he reaches a point where he talks about his last his last album was a collection of soul covers but the album before that was letter to you and he tells the story that when he was in high school a guy named george Thies knocked on his door and said i'm starting a band i hear you play the guitar do you want to come audition and he they spent three years in high school called the castiles and that was his first band Mm -hmm. and he said jump ahead you know, 40, 50 years later, he said, I was at George's bedside. He was dying of cancer. Mm -hmm. And when he died, Bruce realized that he was everyone else that had been in the band had passed. Mm -hmm. So he wrote a song called last man standing. And so he tells that story and then he sings the song, just him and his guitar. And so very powerful. And then immediately goes to Backstreets, which is a song about youth and is a wonderful double punch. So yeah. And then he, you know, before he goes to the encore, he'll, he'll, he does another story about obviously food banks because that's his thing. He always at every tour, he talks about the food bank in that area and asks to give money and shares a few other things and goes into the song. So yeah. Mm-hmm. How about other influences? That Bruce is a great one. Thank you. I appreciate that. Who are some other people that, that influence you either in songwriting or in performance? Sure. So I'm a huge fan of Casey Musgraves. I love her songwriting. I think that just the path that she's paved for herself is so unique and bold and brave, especially in the country music market. I've, I've been a fan since her first album, same trailer, different park. And just to, to watch her like rise, her star just rise so big and to win, you know, in 2019 for best country album, win a Grammy for that. And it's just so inspiring in every way. So her and then there's like an indie artist, Bonnie Vare who I've always gravitated towards and his music to me is just really magical and just like very unique. So him, Florence and the Machine, Maggie Rogers, and then I would say, yeah, like the Beatles too. I, yeah. Sure. They're just always. Yeah. So <clears throat> tell me some, share some stories, brag a little bit, talk about some of the live shows you've done and some experiences that if we were sitting here sharing a, an adult beverage, well, let me tell you this wild one, Jesse. <laughs> of course. Okay. So let's see if I'm going to brag about myself for a second. Please um, do. I will say, yeah, I will say this is, this is also a good answer to the question you had in the past of like, what is like a break moment for you that you would share? So in 2017, my song, or maybe it was 2018, my song, Moon to My Son, won Best Love Song at the Independent Music Awards. And that was a ceremony held at Lincoln Center in New York City. Wow. And I remember when I got the email that my song was nominated to begin with, like I was in my college library and I was just like about, I was about to scream so loud, but I was just like jumping up and down, like silently screaming because <laughs> I was just so excited. And then to actually take a bus and go to Lincoln Center and then actually win that award was just above and beyond in every way. And that whole event was very cool because there were artists from all around the world. It was an international music competition. So folks flew in from everywhere and I got to meet so many cool 
people, cool artists. And that moment, yeah, was definitely a pivotal one for me. And I've been fortunate enough to have won one other awards. I was the Josie Music Award nominee for Artist of the Year. So that was really big. And also they had Orchid, my latest album, up for Album of the Year too in the Josie Music Awards. And yeah, my most recent recognition is my song Daffodil Dreams, which I wrote with my good friend Lori McComb. It was it got an honorable mention at the Indie International Music Competition. Very cool. When you perform, do you is it solo or with a band? It depends on the gig. I love performing with a band, but sometimes it's solo. Usually touring is solo just for yeah. financial purposes. <laughs> Talk to me about the difference building a set list of with a band and then solo. Talk to me a little bit about the difference you when you put together your set list. Yeah, absolutely. So it really depends on the show. Like, for example, if it's a three hour gig with my band, like I try to really nail down in advance the set list so that everyone's following. Everybody knows what songs next and next and next. Whereas if I'm by myself, I can kind of just write a list and then kind of like go go with the flow on like what feels right to play next. I mean, there definitely is a science to the set list. And I will say I get stressed about making set lists because I'll just overthink it. And I want it to be so perfect. And there's this whole idea that you should, you know, start with an up-tempo song and then play another up-tempo and then play a slow, then play an up-tempo and up I mean, up-tempos, of course, like for most festivals, you know, of course are in high demand and that's what they want. And that makes sense. But then, you know, of course, there's also sometimes in my catalog and also cover songs that I want to play that are just beautiful, slow cover songs. But I think if you play too many slow songs in a row, the show can get draggy. So I never want that to happen. So it really is a balance and it can be hard too sometimes. This past summer, there was an exhibit up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that at the Woody Guthrie Museum, they had a Springsteen live exhibit. And one of them was a kiosk that showed you you were able to pick the decade and then it would give you five shows from that decade and then you would pick the show and it would show you the set list and then it would leave there were four or five spots open and you would pick what songs should be on the encore and and they had bruce in a recording video saying that when you build an encore and and he says you know you're I, I'm if I'm doing Born to Run, I'm ending with blank chord. And so he's playing it. So you want to have the next song to sing into that chord. You want it to be mm-hmm. a smooth transition. And so it, it was yeah. fascinating to hear that not just, oh, I'll pick these songs, but the idea of a flow. Mm-hmm. Um and definitely. And and I do think, right, you I imagine when you're by yourself, especially you go, okay, this, this, I, I, I don't know if I'm catching them. So I need to do something a little different or wow, maybe I'm really on a roll. So maybe I should, you know, double down on, right? Like, like they really <laughs> seem to be enjoying this, whether it's a fast base or a slow base, they really seem to be, we're, we're netting. So instead of me, I'm going to go another kind of soft romantic because they seem to be getting in that psych. And so mm-hmm. I'm sure that's a challenge, but also fun to do. It is. And sometimes I'll ask the crowd, like, do you want an upbeat song next or a sad song? You know, and yeah. like see what they say. And that's fun too, because it involves audience engagement. But yeah, you know, it's interesting. 
that you say that about the Bruce exhibit you went to. That sounds really cool. I don't know if it's still up, but I would love to go. And I wonder, I was looking at Bruce's catalog, of course, before this, and I think it's interesting that two of his gigantuan hit songs have the word born in them. Yes. I was like, that's just interesting. Like from all the words in the English language. And I was thinking of other big songs with the word born in them. I feel like Lana Del Rey has a big song with the word born in it, but I can't remember it right now. But I was like, I should write a song with the word born in it. Like the title have born somehow in it. The other thing (laughs) I think is weird is, and not, but like he's got, you know, he and Patti Smith because the night, (sighs) prove it all night, night. I mean, you know, it's, you know, and there's so many other, you know, songs about that, right? That, yeah. Yes. Oh, she's, she's amazing. And, you know, and, and I, I, I love hearing that story that, you know, he had kind of written the song and Jimmy Iovine said, do you mind if I give this to Patty? And Patty, well, okay, I'll finish it. And, uh, you know, and it becomes this huge hit for her. And so, so yeah, it's so, so cool. Yeah. Do you, I, I assume it, it, you, it's hard to pick which one you perform more, the band or solo. It, it's, it's in, it speaks to you in different ways, I would think, correct? It does. Yeah. And so, for example, when I'm playing singer songwriter rounds, that's just me on stage. Yeah. Um, sometimes if I'm playing a gig where let's say I'm more like a corporate event and like I'm background music, that'll be just me. But if it's more of like a venue setting, I, I prefer a band for sure. I perform at, of course, festivals. I prefer a band. But if it's like a restaurant or a coffee shop or something like that, I mean, at this point, you know, I perform at all kinds of kinds of places. But band is definitely the most fun and most versatile because Something that I know about myself is, you know, I play guitar. That's my primary instrument, some piano and some ukulele, but I love dancing and I love with a band being able to put my guitar down and just take the mic and dance and go into the crowd and, you know, clap along and jump around. And that, that is so, so fun. And I can't do that when I'm by myself. (laughs) Yeah. There's listeners. I'm going to give you, I'll include the link to her website in the show notes, but yes, there are on her website, there's shots and videos of her (laughs) dancing and it's, there is just pure joy. So I don't want to, bring you down so let's do this from a hopefully a funny story sarah once again i talk about this she was at a pizza place and she's trying to play music and she's just trying to do and drunk fat frat boy comes on and he's like play louie louie and she's like you know just kind of trying to ignore him and he finally play louie louie which except he didn't say which and she just Put down the guitar, put in the case, shut it down, went to the owner and said, I, I, I can't do this. Keep your money. It's, it's not worth it. So oh my at the time, I'm sure it was absolutely horrible. Now then she tells the story with jokes. So how about you? Do you have something that to quote Bruce, right? One day we'll look at this and it'll all seem funny. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I would say maybe in 2015 or 16, I performed in Indianapolis and I played at a sports bar and there was a big game on. And it was one of those things where it was like, am I invisible? Is this yes. game? like, I don't like, I was like, why am I here? Like, this makes no sense. And mm-hmm. so that was definitely a big learning lesson of like, when, like, don't play sports bars because people are there to watch sports, which makes a lot of sense. But like, yeah. it was so funny because there were, I don't even, 
I remember there weren't a lot of people there to begin with, but they all had their backs towards me and they were looking at the screen, you know, and there were screens everywhere. There must have been like 20 TV screens. And I was like, why? Like, what am I doing here? Why did they do this? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. So, Olivia, you, I'm having a blast talking to you. You're very charming. Do you, do you put a different persona on when you're on stage? And once again, I will tell you the reason why. And once again, I've been friends since Sarah, since 86. She's, she would Mm -hmm. act very ditzy on stage. We're like, Mm -hmm. why? When I talk to you, Sarah, she goes, I get hit on less. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She said, I, I, they tend to think of me more as the ditzy little sister. So I don't get hit on as much. I'm like, Oh, that's an interesting persona. Sad that you have to do that, yeah. but, but interesting thing. You have an incredibly bubbly and, and very captivating. Your music is captivating. So I take it you just, you're, you're you when you're on stage. I would say so. Yes, I definitely. <laughs> Thank you, though, for those kind words. Yeah, I the words bubbly definitely comes up and stage presence comes up and people's, mm-hmm. you know, when they after the show say like, hey, I loved your blank, loved your stage presence, loved your vibe yeah. or whatnot. Yeah, I really I really try to bring a, a positive mentality to the stage. And just I think sharing music is like spreading love and I want to spread as much love as I can. And I just love meeting new people. That's one of my favorite parts of performing and going to new places, traveling and connecting with people is just, it's such a sacred connection too, to have music be like what binds us together. It's just also magical. Yeah, I totally agree. You mentioned covers. Do you have a few handful that you just are your go-to that you love to have? I do. So, and maybe I'll have to add a Bruce Springsteen cover. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yes. Yes. I, yes. I have, see, I normally play like Ho Hey by the Lumineers. That's always a crowd pleaser. I'm yours by Jason Mraz. Lean on me by Bill Withers. I do kind of like a sped up camp version. That's fun. Like an upbeat, boppy version. Sure. And I play, let's see, for this upcoming gig, actually, I'm learning as it was by Harry Styles. Oh, nice. Yeah, and actually they requested that I learn a Bon Jovi song too, his most famous song that I'm totally spacing on at this exact Living moment. on but a Prayer or something? Living on a Prayer, thank you. Okay. Yes, of course, that one. Yes, yes. And so okay. I was just learning that one. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of it's kind of a wide variety. So I think Springsteen's Tougher Than the Rest might be a good mm. cover for you. So okay. just as you just see, you might play that. Okay. All right. So what's next? What's the next step for you, Olivia? Yes. So for me, in addition to like the upcoming gigs and yeah. going on tour this summer, et cetera, I have, I just released a song called Breathing Room on February 24th, which I'm stoked about. It's a song I wrote with my friend Margie Hauser. And so I'm going to keep pushing that on TikTok. I post daily to TikTok. I really try to show up on that app as much as I can. I have a, I've never released a cover song before ever. And I thought, you know, 2023 is the year that I just try new things and just see what happens. Cause why not? So I'm releasing a song. It was kind of a one hit wonder that was released in 2007. It's called show me what I'm looking for by Carolina liar. Okay. And yeah, I have my own spin on it and actually just got the mix back yesterday. So I'm excited Good. about it. And yeah, you know, it's one of those, we'll see. It's a song that I've always loved and resonated with and just like listen to and just soak it in. And so it was fun to to make it my own. So tell me again about the new song and the latest album. Yeah, of course. So new song, 
as of that's out now. It's called Breathing Room. And should I tell like a bit of a story behind it? Sure, please. Sure. Okay. So I wrote that song in 2020 when I was in the midst of writing, writing, writing all the time. And the song is actually about like just feeling overwhelmed with life. And, you know, we all go through seasons and some are more stressful than others, but sometimes we just push ourselves so much when in actuality, like we need to pause, reflect, give ourselves time and space for some breathing room. So that's the concept for the song. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that. Thank you. And the the latest album is called? Latest album is called Orchid. Okay. It came out in 2019, so I'm definitely due for another. But I have singles coming out. I feel like we're such a, we're, you know, in this world where people's attention spans are not very big. And so just yeah. releasing one song consistently as of now, as far as like what the music business says is important, like is what yes. I'm supposed to be doing singles. And so yeah. that's what's happening for me. <laughs> so Olivia, what's the best way for someone who wants to support your art and wants to support you? What's the best way? Sure. Thank you so much. Yeah. So my website is oliviafrancismusic.com. Francis is F-R-A-N-C-E-S. And you can find me on all platforms like TikTok and Instagram on Hey Olivia Francis. Okay, good. And is what's what is the most if someone wants to buy your music, is is there is there a better venue than others? Or do you just I just as long as you buy them, I love it. <laughs> sure. So basically, yeah, showing up if you if you'd like to support me liking my music on Facebook and following me on Instagram, that really goes a long way for sure. I do okay. have a band camp. So if people want to go to band camp and support me that way, they can also just word mm-hmm. of mouth or honestly, like posting one of my songs to your Facebook page, if that's something like that somebody wants to do, like just just spreading the word is really so valuable. So thank you in advance. No problem. I really appreciate that. All right. We're, I end every podcast with the Mary question. And that was very sweet of you before we hit record. We talked a little bit about this. If you are one of those two dozen people that are there for Olivia all the time, you're probably going, what the hell is the Mary question? Jay Armstrong is an honors English teacher who recently retired from the Philadelphia area. But when he was teaching, He would take the song Thunder Road by Bruce Springsteen and he would, in the English class, break it apart as a poem. Look at the themes of the song, look at the lyrics, talk about what Bruce is talking about. And then at the end of the two days, he would ask his class the question, does Mary get in the car? So, Olivia, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? Okay, so I have the lyrics up right now on my phone. Yay, (laughs) perfect. The answer, in my opinion, is no, because the third to last line of the song is, So Mary, climb in. It's a town full of losers. I'm pulling out of here to win. I think he would only say, So Mary, climb in, if she was not yet in the car. I agree. That's very good. I love that. That's a great (laughs) answer. That is good. All right. So OliviaFrancisMusic.com. Go. I will have all the links in the show notes. I hope you come back. The next time you have something to promote, please do. This has been absolutely <laughs> lovely. Any final thoughts yeah. you want to share? No, just thank you so much, Jesse, for having me. It was so wonderful to talk with you. Thanks for taking the time. And to those who are listening, thank you for listening. I'm so happy to 
be in your orbit and hopefully I can see you at a show sometime. That sounds great. All right, listeners, go check out her music. In the meantime, let's all be safe. Let's be kind. And we will talk to you soon. Goodbye. to give a major shout out to the patrons of this podcast. They kick in a few dollars every month to help me with podcast expenses. I want to send a special love and thank you to Mary, Chris, Anna, Terry, Dale, Steve, Stephen, Levi, Betsy, John, Bella, Crystal, Rob, Randy, Steve, Fernando, and Yetta. Thank you all so much for all you do to help me. You are my angels. There we go, another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, so if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groff and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Skaggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. 
Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listing Bruce. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.